Welcome to another episode of Night Times Out. I am your host Tima and my co-host Jess. And today's episode is going to be a little bit more special because we're going to talk about a book. And yeah, this is not something that we do very often, but yeah, guys, we do read books sometimes. <laughs> and this is something I would say is a classic, especially when it comes to financial books and financial knowledge. It's like a kindergarten book for most i would say and it is none other than rich dad poor dad this book talks about mindset from the perspective of his two dads his poor dad who is also his biological dad and his rich dad who is his friend's dad and they have very different perspective on how to manage their money their finances and mainly to us income generation so one is slightly more traditional way but another one thinks more from a a uh, roadless taken way where he thinks of how do we make money work for us rather than we work for money and jessica is there any special a summary that you have in mind when it comes to rich dad and poor dad book i think it's just a really basic interesting book for people that are starting out in growing their own wealth starting out in adulthood would you say but Yeah, like I want to ask you, like, just do you feel like you relate to the book in any ways when you're reading about his story? For me, yes, I do in a lot of ways because, uh, unfortunately, my upbringing was a bit more traditional. Like, we still had some conservative values. You know, the only way to become rich is you study hard in school, you get a good job. And then mm. you become rich, but um, that's not how it really works. And you know, cough, cough, capitalism. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So I think it's interesting because he tells upon that a lot. His his biological dad had this mindset kind of like thrown on him because he's that's what his dad did. But it may not be the right way every time. That is one of the lesson and learning that I got from this book is challenge the notion. You know, challenge the traditional values. Mm. There is always different ways of doing things, and mm. another way of doing it in a more efficient or more easier way. So, I think that is basically the whole mindset that he was trying to elaborate on throughout the book, and I really liked it because he really compared like two contrasting people. So yeah, yeah, that that is something I really related to a lot. And being a young adult who just kind of started to handle. Finances properly, properly. Yeah, <laughs> the keyword mm-hmm. is properly because we didn't do take much care in uni. So I think it's interesting take on our mindset as well on how do I want to move forward on forty years or fifty mm-hmm. years down the line. Do I still want to be working, or do I want to retire, or have the money work for me? How about you? What was something that you felt that was very relatable to you? Um. Quite like same similar answer to yours. Like a lot of the traditional notion that we learn as, uh, from my parents because my parents are, I guess considered in the boomers, mm-hmm. boomers era. Mm-hmm. So their ways are still very traditional. Get a job, be a doctor, be a lawyer. Oh. Those type of <laughs> jobs, you know, the Asian yeah, thing. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Graduate, become that. Get a family. Get married. Get a house. Things like that. And it's just—it's not really possible, especially in our time. Mm-hmm. It's just buying a house is not 
something young people, I would say, would do now. Mm-hmm. And I think this book really challenges that notion and it gives a refreshing view mm-hmm. in different ways of looking at things. And it breaks down a lot of the basic foundation of what makes wealth, like what is asset, what is liability, what is expenses. And it's just a simple breakdown of this book. It's really good for people who are like us, like young adults starting to work and trying to find our financial foundation of building up to, again, like you said, like 40 years, 50 years, would I retire? Should I retire or should I work my uh, years off till I'm like, I don't know, 70 or something like that and still not have that retirement money? I don't want that too, right? True, true. Yes. Like, you know, whenever I interact with some of our friends from a bit older population, from a bit from boomer population in the 50s. And mm. I see them still working. And you know, some of them share this to me that one thing that they maybe possibly regret is that they didn't manage their finances better when they are young. And yeah, I think that's why I think this is a really good start to thinking about your finances. What more can be done? Like you, you could do a more traditional way. Of course, the people that I talked with also, they did a traditional way, but it still didn't work. So we'd have to go further than that and see as the time changes, the way we manage our finances also changes. So, mm. and mm. yeah, the whole book really touches on financial literacy, financial independence. So we made a lot of mistakes, mm-hmm. especially when we were in university. So do you have any advice that you would give to like people who are starting out? Any small tips that like you are doing now that are working? For me, recently, okay, my my savings were like, I I wouldn't say they were not there, but it would feel like I I could have managed it a bit better. And for me, uh, you also need to understand this that before I give these tips, it's all mm. I I could be in a different part of my life or like stage of my life. And you could be in a different stage of life. Just to give you a brief idea, I'm a person who recently started their first job and just started getting a savings account. And I am not planning to start investing very soon. I'm just still working on creating that safety net of sufficient savings amount before I actively start investing and everything. So I'm at this stage of life to just give you a better idea on that. So I do help with my household finances as well. And I use this money manager app. And every Mm -hmm. time I receive a salary, what I do is I remove the savings as expenses first. So let's say I receive my salary on 1st of January. I have, yeah, about five different uh, savings uh, folders so I put maybe like 10% in one folder 10% in another and everything like that so I I cut off the savings part first out of my salary and that will give me a remaining figure I have for the month and after that I cut off the basic household expenses um, that I usually contribute to and factoring all of those out there will be like maybe few (laughs) very few amount there but usually I keep this as something that I would be using for my daily expenses so that at least I know where do I stand because it is very helpful because it's natural that you think to put savings in the last part or something like that or although you may have plans like oh I'm going to put 20% of my savings but unless you naturally minus it usually our brain still thinks that we have cash 
especially you know when we're using bank account and it shows the combined cash we tend to be like oh it's okay i have a good financial position but in long term it would not help you a lot so the trick is to trick your brain here so trick your brain into mm. thinking that you only have this limited amount of money that you can work on and another thing that i really liked is let's say i happen to spend maybe few thousand more and what i do is i put it as a liability or extra commitment on the next month Mm, so, okay. So that at least that in next month I'm saving slightly extra. So it's understand that it can get a bit tricky, especially if you're living alone and you have a very active social life. But these kind of things make you think, okay, what are other ways for me to enjoy free stuff? So other ways of me getting extra income. That makes me think about that more when I see that. Oh, I only have very few amount to spend on. <laughs> what about you? Is there any tricks that you have up your sleeve? I do quite a similar way of saving. I would say you explain like a budget system, mm-hmm. right? You categorize what is your expenses, what is your necessary uh, needs mm-hmm. to be saved, mm-hmm. and such and mm-hmm. such. There are many ways of saving. I would mm-hmm. say if you can check out on YouTube and such, there are probably like a million one ways of, to save. But I would say it's like I struggle more on like I guess impulse buying. For now, since like you know, with the whole COVID thing, like online shopping is so easy, so easy. So you get get roped into spending more than you are usually meant to spend because of you know you're being enticed by all these sales and such. So for me, it's setting a budget on how you can just like go crazy and spend that amount of money. And then you give this a feeling of gratification, and that tricks your mind. Like you're saying, like, "Oh yes, I got everything that I wanted for this amount of money, and that's all I'm gonna spend. And the rest I'm gonna save or like put in certain expenses that needs to be spent, like insurance or mortgage or loan or what, whatever that you have. And yeah, another thing is, I think if you want to save money you have to be in the mindset of i guess being broke do, do you know what yeah, i mean like yeah, you 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 have to feel this i i don't know like this desperation of not being enticed to spend more because you think like oh i have no money and i think that is a good mindset to have at least while you're in the stage of saving getting that foundation that you need to invest in the future maybe and everything is digital and then you just see that number on your bank account or whatever and you feel that you have so much money because of that amount of number that you see on your bank account but in actuality if you break it down there's mu- not much money at all I mean, it's, it's been there since so, so many months you need to take note of that it took so long exactly to come until here and Yes, it seems like a lot, but remember, you worked hard for a lot of months to just get this measly yes. small amount, especially as a yes. fresh graduate. You know, it's it's not much. It's not much, and you need to take that in mind uh, whenever you see the compiled figure there. And uh-huh. adding to that feeling of being broke, I think it helped me a lot in uni. I would say because I mean sometimes I did use it as. One of the reasons to tell my friends that I don't want to socialize, 
<laughs> yeah, mm. yeah, I mean, it's not that I don't want to talk. It's just that I feel like I'm not in that state. So I think one of the easiest answer was, sorry, guys, I'm broke. I can't make it. And it kind of became my habit. I don't know if Zest recalls that or not, but every time they ask me for something, then I'll be like, oh, I, I have to consider it. I'm broke. So they always thought that I have very terrible money management skills. Because <laughs> yeah. mm. I always said I'm broke. Um, but yeah, don't overdo it. But it actually helped me a lot in saving some money as well. Because yeah, and the main thing is, it's okay to say no. Because I understand that in some part of your life, you're like what they said uh, during the COVID, that impulsive shopping was one of those things that she really did a lot. And I think a lot of people did that as well. So you need to teach yourself how to say no to yourself as well and how to say mm-hmm. no to people as well when you know that you are going over budget. Because, you know, there will be the instant gratification that, oh, yes, so oh, everything is happy, I'm feeling better and everything. And I'm not saying that don't compromise your mental health or anything for this. I mean, it, if it helps you feel better, then definitely it's good. But you also need to know the extent that you can expand your expenses on because although it may provide you that instant gratification in long term it may generally not be healthy with you especially when you want to get higher like last kind of mortgages or like loans that needs higher savings you really need to have to work out this habit of saying no and yeah it's a difficult journey but yeah that's how you start i think recently your online shopping impulsiveness has dropped yes. <laughs> i don't see her like putting out you know guys look i bought this thing as much nowadays <laughs> yeah so <laughs> to what has helped you in reducing that i think you just have to being picky on what you choose to spend your money on because like what i learned from impulse buying is that the happiness is very short so if you want to get something get something that you would be happy for the long term make it worth it so don't don't spend on something that would turn out to be trash or you wouldn't care about it in like a month or something and in my opinion if you're gonna spend on something like grand advise you to go traveling spend it on experience instead of just going out to the pub and buying a lot of alcohol and just getting drunk the next day i used to have a housemate she used to get this gratification when she bought appliances. Like, she buys a huge multi-cooker. She used to be, like, so happy. <laughs> and she got it on sale. So, finances-wise, I wouldn't comment on her side because that's her own ways of doing things. But she found gratification in that. So, yes, I mean, there are different ways. As long as you know your limit, I think that's okay. Mm-hmm. Where you want to spend on. But, yeah. Like what they said, spend something that will last you longer term. Every time you use it, you'll be happier. So in this book, right, it touches a lot of the rich that teaching him in ways of investing. In that way, do you think that you have like your own plan to potentially invest in the future? That's how I plan to make my money, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Same thing. I really researched a lot on investing, you know, how to get better returns and such and such. And I'm generally interested in that concept as a whole because 
one you're helping advancing the society you know when you invest in a really good company or a futuristic company and second you're getting a return mm. That's very interesting to me. And this has been one of the rising trend, I would say, especially in my place as well, where people are starting to open all those investment portfolios. And for me, I do not want to get carried away with it, definitely. Because mm. the book has taught us this thing that whenever you want to start somewhere new, put your money somewhere, do enough research, do not follow the crowd. So mm. so that's why I'm at this stage of my life where I'm still investing. But definitely, I would want to build a very strong portfolio once I have my savings in order, uh, preferably maybe in the next few months time. And yes, it is something I have been planning since last year. And I hope that I made smart decisions, which would give me at least enough money to have money work for me. Right. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah. I think the book, it, it breaks down a lot of simple layman's term of investing, I would say. It explains what is considered your asset, what is considered your liabilities. And if you're looking for something that is uh, really basic, like basic of the basic of investing, I would recommend this book for anyone who, who would want to read about it. Um, I think the book also touches on being passionate in what you invest in. And I think that is super important. You have to believe in what you invest in and what you you see a future in that business, whatever that business is. So I think, I think that's a good tip, I would say. Yes, definitely. And, yeah. Definitely. Because one thing you need to also realize is that if people hadn't invested in companies like Google's, I mean, there is already a separate large investing firms that have that have played a higher role there. But uh, you need to think about it as well, that we also could contribute in a bit. Like the people who have invested in Google in their startup days, they are also one of the people who have contributed to what Google is today now. Mm. And every little investment is actually helping the company support and grow as well. Because recently I went to this one talk on green finances and what the toll was about currently one of the priority that we need to make is supporting more sustainable developments. Mm. And being an investor, you could also branch more into green investing as well because you have to think about this way. Once you start supporting this company now, if it has enough support and let's say if there are other factors that makes like that adds up to its success as well, we would have a better future if these companies become successful. Yeah. So, so do think about it because uh, it may be a very small thing for you, but it could be a bigger thing for a company who is looking for funding and mm. this kind of developments. So when doing an investment, do not just think about big, large, like 500 S&P companies or something like that. You think about companies that would possibly change the way we work and change the world in the future. Mm-hmm. And yes. once you recognize this, then possibly it may give you a better return in long term and it also may be giving you a better world for your future generation to live. Such a nice statement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I I personally haven't delved in investing personally with my finance. But I have 
a lot of influence around me from family, from friends and such. And I think one of the tips that I definitely see and them telling me is also be prepared of failures, be prepared of mistakes that will, that you will have and that will be bound to happen because you never know where this investment will will become, this company will become, whether it's cryptocurrency or like a small startup business. You never know their future. You cannot predict their future. That's why I think this book emphasized that uh, no matter what, People say about that company specifically, I think you have to believe and mind your own business on what you invest in. And that's why like, I can understand that some of us are a very perfectionist here that we do not want to jump in without understanding the whole concept there. So what do you do is uh, you don't have to learn from your own mistakes as well. You can learn from your other's mistakes. And just luckily has that system where, you know, her family members already has some experience in investing. So before me, I do not have that. I do not have the direct influence here unless I ask Sika. Hey, how did you fail? Huh? <laughs> what are the ways to fail? Huh? What, what, what should I not do as this? What should I not do? <laughs> so, <laughs> so there's that thing. So generally what I do is I join Reddit subs or any maybe Facebook group or in, in subpages that usually talks about these things. So you look into this and you what are the mistakes some of the people did? Yeah, a good tip. Mm-hmm. And also it will help make you feel like you understand it more better. And the time when you start your first investment, you would at least know, okay, I know I shouldn't be doing this. And it's okay. Mm. I mean, you don't, you don't have to know everything in your life. As long as you know what not to do, sometimes it helps as well. So I think that that is a way of moving forward as well. Mm. I was wondering this since this book has helped us have a different perspective on life and finances in general. What if we had this kind of information or this kind of perspective change when we were still in university? Because that time we had more of money coming from allowances. So what would you have changed or how would you have managed your finances? I definitely would have budgeted my money better. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. Like The first time I actually had a good amount of allowance was actually during university. So before that, I was in high school. You get the food from the cafeteria. You don't really pay much. But once you're in university, you get more freedom. You get more more social life, I would say. And legally, you have more access to more things. Oh, so, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> no drugs, okay? No drugs. Mm-hmm. But you do tend to realize that you you spend more. There, there are more hidden like expenses than you realize, actually. And I think if I had read the book you know, during university, I would have budgeted way better. Because... For me, like I never had a quite larger amount of allowance than I had in high school. So I just went like, "You're you're a kid, you're a dumb kid." So you you just end up spending more. You go go karaoke, you go expensive cafes, and eat all this like expensive food, and then you realize by the end of the month you're broke. You have no money. <laughs> and I think if I had read this book earlier, I would have budgeted more wisely. I would say, and. I would have been more interested in gaining more 
experience in the work field, I would say. I will find more ways to get passive income and do more part-time. Um, even though I did, it wasn't as extensive as I would have done it now if I had a chance to do it again. Yeah, that's what I would do. Um, what about you? Like, what would you change? I think the first thing I would change is I would go to more investment-related talks because mm. for me, I was all about, you know, yay, Astis is sustainable development goals, but it wasn't more towards finances. I never really kept it as one of my priority, I would say. So that is something I would do. I would go to more financial talks uh, and understand more on the financial literacy and how I could start investing as a student. I would probably already have an investment portfolio by now. And since mm. I was abroad at that time, I think regulations-wise, it would have been easier because uh, you know, now mm. I'm a non-resident, so it would be difficult to enter the investment market internationally in, that, you know, in mm. a different country. Interesting. When we are young, we that's how the values were taught to us. Like money doesn't bring happiness. Don't focus on money. Focus on your ethics. Focus on your behavior and everything. And that is one of the values that we need to uphold, being ethical and being a good person. But we can't deny that money is not important to us at all. It saves a lot of our life, our stress, our family life, our personal life, everything. And... As we move forward, we tend to focus on big purchases and all. And you mentioned somewhere on the line during the whole thing that like this generation possibly are not really looking for large commitments such as mortgages. So what about you personally? Would you ever plan to you know, invest in property or something like that? Or what are your general thoughts on this? Well, it's hard to say because for me... I don't really have a long-term, I'm talking about like 20, 30 years long-term plan, but property specifically, I don't think personally I would because it's not my passion or something I'm interested in now at the moment, but who knows in like future. But at the moment, no, I don't have any plans to invest in property specifically, but I would probably invest in business I believe in things like that and you spoke upon like upholding values and being it should not be the first priority of life interesting side of that is like my family is totally opposite yeah. of that. <laughs> okay <laughs> yes um so my parents the only thing they really worry about is actually money and they don't really prioritize mental health, I would say. <laughs> so I agree in some sense that money is important, but I think, again, you need balance. And don't let money consume yourself and become greedy about it. Because I think you would be stuck in this loophole, hell of just believing money is everything. And... I do see that in people and I just don't think that's a that's a way that you should live the rest of your life, I would say, because you wouldn't be satisfied. But again, balance. You just have to find this middle ground where you're happy in both sides and not make it uh, your everything. 
it's interesting because you know we have been talking about balance ever since our first episode and it's interesting how it's still applicable mm. here as well and i really agree with you on that my parents i mean although we had a lot of financial hurdles here and there they were always like oh, humanity comes first everything comes first what is it like denying it doesn't change it like I, i'm like mm. let's say i'm denying that we don't need this and all then it's it's completely useless denying that you need money and being mm. too greedy in money i think these two extremes can actually make your life yeah destroy you like completely agree completely agree and- mm-hmm. yeah for for me potentially i also do not have really large plans in future but i have always wanted to own my own space a house mm. yeah that that is something mm. i have been really looking forward to i really enjoy alone time and i have a huge family so i crave for that alone time a lot i don't know why it's maybe factored in because of my parents as well get your own house get your own house and those kind of thing but it has been my dream to live like that at least you know at a certain point in my life i would say um but yes a house is a very huge commitment so well i'm <laughs> i'm asking out of curiosity is do you plan to live solo for oh. a long time if you happen to get an apartment or a space of your own yes if i can afford it guys if i can afford it yes i hope to stay solo <laughs> I, uh, if i can't afford it then it's all right it's okay you know uh, i'll just say for maybe a few more years but the main thing is if i can afford it yes uh definitely i would prefer to live alone cuz i think that kind of peace it's something that i really crave for <laughs> Well, what about you? Do you, do you plan to like share with people or how is it? For me, yeah, um, yeah, I do like my own space, but I do find that I'm pretty simple-minded. I would say, because I feel like I just need one room and space for me, and that that it doesn't have to be a house. It just has to be a single room, <laughs> and I'm satisfied with that. and that's why maybe that buying a house doesn't really intrigue me anymore as or like a whole apartment space i would say cuz personally you know you have to realize you have to do a lot of housework <laughs> if you do end up getting your own like apartment even so i would like to keep it simple and have like a single room so <laughs> that's my reasoning for not being really interested in property like for myself to be used for me only specifically but if like in the future you know there's many ways of investing in in property right it can be a land it can be a house it can be a building if i who knows if i get that rich one day who knows uh but it's just cuz at this moment I don't think I would be investing in the property in 10 years time maybe. I would probably see it in 20 or 30 years time. I would probably invest or have the income or saving at least. I hope. Please God, <laughs> I hope that I have that amount of money. And again, you have to think about inflation mm. too. Who knows in 
20, 30 years time, it the prices are so insane that you can't even afford, you know, no matter how hard you work, who knows? It has to be some sort of miracle in my mind. <laughs> I don't think I would be investing in property. Yeah, that's my reasoning of not <laughs> investing in properties. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, everyone has uh, different ways of going forward. But f- for me, possibly, I'm also looking into, well, not now, but uh, I can't afford it. <laughs> if my boss pays me higher, maybe there is a chance. But right now, I can't afford to own a property as well. But the thing about real estate is usually like unless there are very huge changes if you are holding it on a long term usually the value increases especially on a place that is gaining attention so i i have seen that in in my case Mm. uh, what happened was um let's say the land that were near my houses that cost maybe like let's say five hundred thousand or like two hundred to five hundred thousand now they are in the range of millions already so, I mean, there are places whose property has value has dropped as well. And in certain stages, I wouldn't be a complete expert in this field. But what I feel is usually they would be gaining traction if you are keeping it for a very long term. I'm actually interested in exploring this area more as well. Because um, investing in companies is one way and investing in land and you know selling it, I think that's another way of building your worth. It may be slightly more riskier than going through a normal investment route, but I think it would usually get a higher return. Because, yeah, so that's why I'm still thinking on it. But different countries have the different policies as well. So you'd have to look in your own individual country on if there are any additional provisions for investing on properties. Are they, you know, maybe tax discounts or something like that? Because you would help you in a longer term if you have a lot of properties. In I'm not sure that that is my belief. I am not expert, but perhaps it could be a possible place that you could keep your eye on and think about, is this a good place to double your amount in or not? Mm-hmm. So I want to ask on your perspective then, because like, in this book, right, it actually mentions a multiple times that a house is actually a liability instead of an asset. And do you believe in that statement? Well, then? I do, I do. But you also need to think of it in such a way that it becomes a liability when the money is flowing from you to the bank. But it becomes an asset if the money is flowing to you. And if you think about it, let's say if I take a mortgage on a property and I rent it out. And let's say it's in a good place where the rental charges are usually higher and I'm highly likely to receive tenancy if my mortgage repayment is $2,000 a month and the rental amount I'm receiving from the property is $3,000 a month. And let's say I have this mortgage for 20 to 30 years. In long term, the first, the value of the property is increasing. Hopefully, hopefully hopefully it's increasing, especially if it's in a metropolitan area. Let's say it increases. And second Mm. thing is, the let's say my maintenance and everything including my mortgage it goes to about 2500 and since my rental income i'm receiving is let's say $3000 here then at least the $500 between that it's still coming into my pocket after making the repayments 
So in this case, it's, it's not completely a liability, I would say. It's a liability, also an mm. asset. And mm. but, but when it comes yeah. to this kind of large purchases, definitely you'd have to have more backups. You'd have to um, have more second thing that you could rely on because property market is unstable sometimes. And I understand that due to the economic crisis, could property market can go really down. There are that chances. And mm-hmm. you'd yes. have to say when that property market goes down, do you have enough savings, emergency fund, or a good investment portfolio to support yourself? Because there is fluctuation. Because mm-hmm. as the stock price crashed, people who couldn't manage their finances or who did not have any backup plans, they had to sell their stocks at a much cheaper price. But people who were ready for mm-hmm. this kind of things, they were able to take advantage of that market. So you'd have to think mm-hmm. about this as well. So yes. definitely it is a risk. Uh, I do not deny that. Let's put Robert's learning here. Of course, you know, he considered it as a liability, but think about this in long term. Your car value won't increase, but your property value, there is still a chance that it will increase. And think from a different perspective on how can you make your liability into an asset. Into an asset, yeah. Good points, good points. I agree. So you, you mentioned about mortgages, loans, and such. And I think that ties with credit building. And so I think in that way, did you feel that you have to start building in some sort of way to generate a good credit score? Yeah, yeah. I think that's that's a really good point because especially when you get in a mortgage, credit score plays a really large part on would the lenders be lending the money to you or not? Because... It's kind of like a resume, I would say, credit building. It shows your history, your experience. It's kind of like the concept of dating as well. You're literally a stranger to the lender. And how would they know that you are trustworthy enough to build a mortgage relationship with you? It's a general report and a resume of your showing. How do you actively manage your finances? Do you have enough savings? Do you pay rent and time? You know, those all those kind of things. So credit really plays a huge part. And... Oftentimes, I think we do not take note of that until it's too late. So if you are planning to get a property, perhaps, I mean, it would depend on country to country, definitely. But most of the time, start building up a new credit score. Yes, I agree. On the same topic of credit building, what are some of the ways to build credit? Um, it, again, it would differ country to country. But some of the ways that you could look into are possibly yes, getting a credit correct. card. Absolutely correct. That's absolutely correct. They are a huge thing in checking if you make timely repayment or not. Because it's actually giving you a credit. So spending money that you may not have. So something like that. So definitely it would help you a lot in building up your credit score as well. But I understand that when it comes to credit card, a lot of people are afraid that what if they do impulsive shopping and go overboard and you know, go in credit card debt. So that's when the idea of self-control and balance comes in. You'd have to understand and find ways to balance it better. And if you do that, then credit card is one of a really good way to move forward as well. And another thing is some countries what also happens is if you make too many loan application 
like something like credit card application or personal loan application as well it may reflect badly on you because it may so that this person may not have the best financial position as they are asking around a lot or it may also so that this person would not be the most reliable as they are still looking into multiple options and can change lender anytime so these are one of the few things that people do not really look into when it comes to credit building so you, what you could do is if you're really interested in it go to your individual you know credit repairing agencies or credit building companies that's located in your own individual country and look more into it because in long term that would be a huge help in getting that best interest rate yeah best of luck with that yes another tip on credit card make sure you check on the interest rate a lot of banks nowadays has zero percent interest rate Mm -hmm. which is great get those do not get high percentage just be smart and be aware of that on that note we are nearing the end of our episode I would like to give a little bit of disclaimer. We are both not experts in this field and on any of the topic we discussed today. So we can just speak on our own experiences and our own advices that we hear around us. So please take it as a grain of salt. And I would like to say thank you so much for listening to our episode today. And good night.